Hello, my Covey casters. It's Leslie Jane Seymour, the founder of Covey Club and the Covey Cast. And I am so excited to tell you today, I have the wonderful Shelly Zalis. And let me tell you, I've chased her around the world for about two months trying to get her. And oh my goodness, wait till you hear her story. She's more of an evolution rather than a revolution in terms of reinvention. But she has had all kinds of twists and turns in her life. And what's so interesting is none of them have been by design, but she's really smart. She's really funny. And I think you're really going to enjoy her. She just a brief part of her history, which you'll hear a little bit of, is that she um, grew up and went to school at Barnard. And then she started working very early in research on the web when research did not exist. And it's a very interesting story about how she went from a company, she left a company in a good way, and then ended up that the company she founded, which was a, uh, a huge internet research company, got sold back to the company she'd left. Who knew, right? And now today she's doing this amazing things called the female quotient. And it's all about bringing equality to women um, out there. And she has a wonderful thing called the Women's Lounge and the Equality Lounge. And you're really going to love talking to her. Not only is, and she's a mom as well. And she fought the system and brought a female point of view and female emotions and female connectivity to a world where men were telling her this wasn't going to work. She had to change. And she said, nope, you guys change. Anyway, so let's welcome the wonderful Shelly Zalis. So hello, Shelly. So glad to talk to you today. Well, it's always fun talking to you, Leslie. You make me smile. Oh, good. Well, I'm sitting here smiling, too. I am so excited to finally get you. This has taken forever because you are always on a plane or you are always in another country. So anyway have you. So let's jump in and talk about your reinvention, because that is what everybody is here to hear about. So maybe talk a little bit about your history, um, where you grew up, and how you ended up being this big tech mogul. And then we'll talk about what you did after that. Uh, thanks. I think my, my life is, my journey is very nonlinear, and it's definitely not in the textbook. So I didn't learn how to to zig when others zagged. It was just kind of following my heart, and and that's where life took me. Um, and so I grew up in. Well, I was. Oh God, I went all over the place. My father is a cardio was a cardiologist. He passed recently, but he was a um, cardiologist. So we lived in different cities in different countries when I was growing up. So from the age of two to five, I lived in Frankfurt, Germany. Oh, okay. That explains the world traveler to me then. You definitely have to be time zone agnostic to, to travel and jump on and off planes like I do. Um, but it also brings you to parts of the world that, you know, it's not about the sightseeing aspect. It's about the people in all those right. different countries and right. the cultural nuances. And I just find that so incredible. But I lived So you were born, were you born there or you were, you just lived there? I was born in San Francisco on okay. an army base and then moved to Germany. And okay. then um, from there, we moved to Los Angeles. So I must have been about six years old when we moved back to L.A. And, you know, so that's that's where I'm from. I'm one of four girls. 
And ah, I was just thinking, okay. today, yeah, how my parents really did something right because I am great friends, best friends with my sisters, and we are all very similar yet a little different, and we share That's everything. So cool. My parents really raised us to love each other and to trust each other and to share everything and to not be competitive, but, you know, to, to do everything together. And so I really thank my parents for teaching me through experience at a very young age that sharing is so much better than competing and, and having that, you know, I have this and you have that and I'm upset about that. I just, I never had that growing up. Interesting. So talk about how you ended up in tech, which is there. It's a very small group of women at that time, correct? You know what? It wasn't a choice. Um, I had no interest. I actually was not someone that you would have thought was a role model STEM person. Um, I did not like math. I couldn't sit still to you know, pay attention to having to write equations and all that. So I was not someone that liked math or science. Um, I do love Really? Math. I love this. This is great. Yeah. I, I, I'm happy we added A to STEM. So I'm, I'm happy we added, you know, art to STEM. Um, I do love the creative aspect. And I think that's one of the things that we don't think about. You know, STEM or science and technology always feels so cold and art yes. warms it up and gives it that warmth of how do we contextualize technology to make it easy to use so that everyone will embrace it and no one will be afraid of it. So I'm, I'm happy that we added a little soft to, you know, the strong piece. But it was not my so, intention to go. Yeah, go ahead. STEM. So how did you get into it? How did you back in? I, it was by accident completely. I fell into it. And I think, you know, I've been in market research, which is my background. I've been in, um, you know, the business of asking consumers questions about, you know, what they like, how much they like it, would they buy it, how much would they buy it for, would they tell their friends about it, you know. So that's really been my my business for over 35 years. And I fell into a market research company when I was in college. I went to Barnard, uh, Barnard College for Women of Columbia University. Right. Um, Columbia was not co-ed at the time. Right. And my senior year of um, college, I thought, you know, I'm playing tennis a lot and I'm kind of coasting through school. I probably should go get a job. And I saw an ad on the bulletin board in the in the school um, bu bulletin. And it seemed like it was an ad agency job, which really intrigued me, you know, learning about people because I, I was a psychology major. I thought, wow, this is perfect. I can, you know, understand people and the dynamics and what makes them do things, you know, the behavioral element. And I went to the interview and it was not an ad agency. It happened to be a market research company. And so these women were sitting around in the in the office and they were eating frozen yogurt and, and talking about people. And I'm like, I could do this. This is the perfect job for me. And I got the job in college and I never left. I stayed at that company, which was called wow. Video I stayed there for about seven years and it was a five person company. And it was the wow. most magical experience for me because it was three women that were my partners in crime. And, you know, we, we looked at ads all day long and analyzed them from a consumer perspective. And my boss, 
His name was Dave Videra, actually Baldev Videra, Indian. And he wore corduroy pants and wallaby shoes and oh red socks and was just so real. Like we would sit around and talk about ads, what worked, what didn't. And he taught me things in life that I never, I never understood that I learned from him until that moment that I understood what he gave to me. And, you know, one was he had a brilliant idea jar in the office and we all would put our ideas in there. And then at about seven o'clock every night, you know, there was no such thing as a nine to five job. And, you know, we would open up the jar, we'd have a glass of wine and we would read them and we would say, Oh, what a good idea. Let's do that. And we would just make shit happen. And it was awesome. He also just taught me to, you know, not just look at what's supposed to be, but what could be, you know, and imagine the impossible and make it possible. And it was just such a a phenomenal experience. And actually my boss, Maggie Taylor, her name was Maggie Berlin at the time. um, I still know today, she now runs Added Value, one of the largest research firms in the world under the Kantar family. And we're still great friends. You know, we found each other, you know, I think we had a break for about 20 something years and all of a sudden we're now working together on this, you know, see her movement that, you know, I co-founded with the ANA. But anyway, just to stay linear. So I spent my first seven years at video storyboards, a tiny little company learning that all of us have, you know, what we're responsible for, but we cross pollinated all the time and shared responsibility. There was no, um, me or I, right. it was always we. We worked right. together on making things happen. And right. we had a really successful little company. And then one day I got recruited um, by a, a headhunter. I didn't even really know what that was um, to come to a company called ASI, which was a quote unquote quantitative research company that was quite large. And I remember going to my boss, Dave, and I said, Dave, I got recruited to this company. I think it's time for me to fly. I said, but by the way, what is quantitative research? <laughs> I have no <laughs> idea what that was. And he said, That's great. He, he used his act, you know, he spoke to me and he says, it's basically, you know, what we do, but on a much bigger level with more people. And I said, are you okay? I think it's time for you to, to let me fly. I, I need to have more experience. And, and that's how I got my next job. And that's when I went hysterical. to my next job. I love it. it was, you know what? It all just kind of happened. My next, so when I went for the interview at ASI, I interviewed with the CEO. His name was Jerry Lukeman, who is, you know, David Dara was a role model in my life. I learned so much from him and Jerry Lukeman. Um, is still a role model for me in, in so many ways. And so Jerry, my interview with Jerry was he sat me down, showed me two ads for, I think it was Pizza Hut, and said, which one will do better with consumers? And of wow. course, I said, oh, this one will, and this is why. And he said, great, you're hired. Um, so thank you, Dave Videra, for teaching me so well how to wow. feel with my heart versus think with my head. And wow. he said, what do you need? Yeah, he said, what do you need for your job? I said, I need a typewriter and a TV in my office. And he said, I'll give you the TV because I like to watch ads all day long. He said, but um, we're going to have to teach you how to use a computer. I said, oh, I'm not my God, this is I, great. I think from a typewriter. Funny. And I use 
overhead projections, you know, acetates. And I don't even think oh my many people God. know acetates. what that is. Incredible. Um, so it was really pretty remarkable. And, and that was, you know, my career. I stayed there for many years. And I had another boss while I was there. His name was Peter. And we once had to go to a client meeting. And I had never done a presentation in front of clients. I was an analyst writing decks, but I never had to stand up in front of clients and, and present the results. And we went to Sara Lee, uh, Haynes Hosiery, I'll never forget this, in North Carolina, Winston-Salem. And we, he, he said to me, okay, Shelly, you're going to present the deck tomorrow to the client. And I said, Peter, no, I'm not. I wrote the deck, but you're presenting it. I'm not going to present the deck. And he said, yes, you are. You've got to get uncomfortable before you get comfortable. And he says, and okay. it's going to be scary, but after you do the first one, you'll see it's so much easier, you know, as you go along. And he said, and you wrote the deck. No one will know this better than you. And so I had to do the presentation, turn, flipping the acetates, speaking in front of 30 people, scared out of my wits end. I was terrible. I read the charts. I couldn't even give eye contact. I was shaking. And I got to page like 10 on the overhead projections on the acetate. And all of a sudden, I saw that he put notes on the pages for me, like oh, five more pages God. to go. You go, girl. You're oh. almost done. You got this. And I did it. Wow. And I got to say, I really was terrible. I mean, if you gave me a grade, I, I would have gotten probably a D. You know, and I, wow. would have, I wouldn't have failed because I got, you know, that A for effort, you know, put me on that higher level. But I did it. And I was so proud of myself. And he gave me such, you know, encouragement and reinforcement. And so probably my, um, my speaking today and I speak all over the world was because someone gave me that little push of encouragement and that confidence to be who I am and to own that. So that was another very important moment in my life. Should I continue or am I talking What's so interesting is you are such a master now. I can't imagine the moment when you were terrified of standing up in front of anybody. You're, you know, you're practically like a television host, you know? So... You know, that's so interesting. But, but you know, that's why it's, it's, I say, you know, you got to give back with generosity, you know, what you had in different ways, rising the ranks. And, you know, these were moments in my life that I'll never forget because um, they did help me find my voice and my confidence when I didn't think I had it. Even though it's like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, I just had to click my heels three times and I could go home if I, if I believed that I could. You know, right. And so, how did you get that to moment. Ipsos then? How did how did Go Ipsos ahead. happen? How did Ipsos happen? So while I was at ASI, um, I was always very curious, and I decided I met a guy named Tony Hoffman on an airplane that was the king of infomercials, and he was kind of rep selling Godiva chocolate on the plane, you know, and he was like, <laughs> and. And I thought, oh, my God, this guy is crazy, but I'm kind of obsessed with him. And lo and behold, he was my partner sitting on the airplane. He was sitting next to me. And I'm like, who the heck are you? I said, you are really cool, really interesting. You have so much confidence. You can sell you know, ice to an Eskimo. What's your deal? 
And he said, oh, I'm an infomercial uh, person. I said, what are infomercials? He said, mm-hmm. it's basically we buy unused or, uh, you know, uh, uh, unused media on um, cable channels that no one knows about. And we pitch products that you can't find in a supermarket or in a store. And we do 30-minute programming with three-minute pods of eight minutes of regurgitated content, and we sell a shitload of stuff. And I'm like, Uh oh, God, that's so cool. He started telling me about the slicer dicer and the pocket (laughs) fisherman and, like, all kinds of crazy things. I'm like, that is amazing. Can we bring that concept to Fortune 500 brands? I said, I work with brands on 30-second traditional TV spots and print and, you know, traditional media. Can we go in that direction? He said, sure. And so I pioneered basically the infomercial concept for brands on how to bring brands to share their products with 30 minutes, you know, on air um, for tertiary demand, selling more of something because we show the use of it. Uh And so I worked on every single infomercial for the most part for car companies, for Lysol. We did it for Lysol. For um, Apple, we created something called the Martinetti's bringing home the commercial, uh, bringing home computers. Um, I worked on Microsoft selling Win 98. So in 1998, we were creating infomercials for brands. And it was really amazing. And what we learned from that was how to create uh, a database of people calling in for information, um, Uh which allowed us to build this, this online database which was incredible. And then the internet. So you, did, you were the, I, the original Mark Zuckerberg Cambridge Analytica <laughs> long time ago, but not for bad. It, a little, a little always ahead of myself, you know, it always caught up later, but it really wow. was true. It's just, and a lot of that was because I was just curious and I had to be, you know, pushing the envelope because I right. felt like, status quo was, you know, the world was moving and nothing in my world really was. Um, And so it kept me really engaged. And then the internet came up and everyone started creating 300 page websites for Tampax. And I thought, well, gosh, you know, we don't create programs to advertise in. We put our advertising in other people's programs. So why are we creating our own content to sell our things? And so I brought a consortium together of big advertisers from Levi's to Proctor to IBM to um, Kraft, you know, a bunch of different companies to Coca-Cola companies together. And I said, let's start creating ad formats on other people's content sites. And that's when the ad units on content sites were born, interstitials and split screens and, and banners and, you know, everything you see today. And we started, I had everyone give us 10 different ads. We tested them and we grew the largest online database. And that's how I started getting into the internet. And we did website testing and and looked at what was working and what wasn't. And we created standard ad units. And then the IAB ended up standardizing them and taking that over, you know, which is how we now have that business. And then it was this moment that I woke up and I said, wow, if we can create ads on other people's content sites on the internet, what if we create an, a, a research business, migrate research from offline, which is what I was doing, mall right. and television. Oh, on to online. 
Yeah. And that oh. was in 2000. Oh, and, is that the um, birth of Ipsos? And I was at ASI at the time. And the craziest thing is, now this was in, what year was this? Uh, well, in 2000, I formed OTX. So it probably was in 1998, let's say. It was ASI. This is the craziest thing. So I was at ASI. It got acquired by Ipsos. And when it got acquired by Ipsos, I had gone to my boss, Jerry Lukeman and Bill Moult and, and Jim Spaeth, and I said to them, I have this crazy idea to migrate research from offline to online. What do you think? And they basically said, we think it's a great idea. But at the time, it was only wealthy old men with broadband that were online, so hardly right. a representative population. And they said, and because we just got acquired by Ipsos, we need to focus on global expansion of our business. We can't take a, we can't roll the dice on online at the time because it'll take a while before people catch right. on. And that was a heartbeat moment for me. It wasn't, a, I don't say it's an aha moment because that's very cognitive and rational and you use your head. It was mm -hmm. a heart moment. Mm -hmm. I went home that night and I thought, well, gosh, if I have to wait, for the right moment to launch right. online research, someone's going to beat me, never going to get there. I won't be the first, even though I thought of this. And right. I can't wait. I'm not good at waiting. And I, <laughs> I went to work the next day and I resigned. And oh. I, uh, I mean, I resigned with love. You know, I left with love. Right. And I knocked on Nielsen's door and I said, I have this crazy idea to pioneer online research. It's obviously not um, a representative population yet, but I'm going to make it work. I right. feel like I, I need to do this. And Nielsen said to me, what do you need? I said, I need a million dollars. And they said, for what? I said, well, I have this 21-year-old guy, his name is Trevor Kaufman, that was helping, you know, do all of the um, website testing, um, usability testing on websites. I thought he was a great guy. And I said, and I promised him that if someone were interested in moving this forward, I would pay him a million dollars. And oh. that was that. They, they gave me the money. I gave it to Trevor. He helped build the first online business that I created, you know, with the, it was basically an, an online um, website for consumer research. And I mean, the rest is history. And so I built a company at Nielsen and then I left to, they were, you know, they wanted to walk and I needed to run. So I went to iFilm, which was actually, iFilm, which is so crazy, was um, YouTube ahead of its time. It had oh, everyone okay. posting videos um, in okay. categories, but it was so ahead of itself and it was run by um, Kevin Wendell and Skip Paul. And so I built the next generation of online research at iFilm. And then I left iFilm um, because we were growing so fast. And I went, um, I was owned by Bob Pittman and Strauss Zelnick. Um, and then online research got bigger and bigger and it became the new norm. And then the craziest thing to answer your question in a long-winded way, leaving out a lot of details along my journey, but um, we then sold my company because we were, doing already 60 million profitably and I was too small to be big Holy and too big to boy. be small it was time to sell to a big traditional company and so in 2010 
I sold to Ipsos, which you sold back to the people thing. that you had left. Exactly. And so Brilliant. I ended up back home, which was, you know, incredible. And um, I sold my company wow. to Ipsos. You know, we were doing 60 million in revenue with 250 employees in six cities. We sold to Ipsos doing $2.6 billion in revenue with 16,000 employees in 83 uh, countries. So wow. it was okay. quite an amazing journey. So I will wow. um, pause because I, I probably shared so much so fast, but um, it, it, life is full circle. That's amazing. I have found a lot of but not quite like that. I think that's really interesting in terms of people who are trying to reinvent themselves, obviously being very careful about not burning bridges, making sure you maintain your networks, and who the heck knows how it's going to play out, right? Yeah, uh, you know, you, you just, you never know. And I, and that's why when you, when you use the word reinvention, I'm not sure I yes. ever tried to reinvent myself. I just followed my heart and that took me to places that sometimes surprised me um you know always delighted me and you know the unexpected is really you know the expected for me so i never so, had but, a predetermined journey i never had a real reinvention right say that again but now you do have a real reinvention you have the female quotient um, yes, but for me, the word reinvention, I am evolving and I am always, you know, going kind of with the flow. Um, it was yes. never a pause moment where I said, okay, I've done this. Now I'm going to do that because everything I do sort of hasn't been done. So I kind of make it up as I go along. And so, you know, it's it's not in a textbook. I never you know, when I started the female quotient, so, you know, I stayed at Ipsos for five years and I left two years ago um, to start the female quotient because the girls lounge started by accident. It was, you know, that moment in my life, I was the only female CEO on the top 25 my entire career. And while I was at Ipsos, um, a, a research company, I wanted to bring research companies into technology. Um, and I was a technology-enabled researcher, you know, because I pioneered online research, but I never went to tech conferences. And so I thought, oh, I'll go to CES, the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. But I heard that there was over 150,000 people and less than, you know, 5% were women. And that was kind of intimidating, even at right. this stage of my life. It was a little intimidating to think about going by myself to this big conference where I wasn't going to know anyone, you know, put me in a research conference. I'll know everyone put me in a right. tech conference. I'm invisible. And so I invited four girlfriends and I said, if you know other women invite them and 24 hours later, 50 women showed up and we walked <laughs> the yes, together. Yeah. It was again, that heartbeat moment where, you know, I had no idea that that was going to happen but two remarkable things happened. One, all the guys' heads turned, like where the heck did all you women come from? There's no women here. And, you know, woman alone has yes. power collectively. We have impact. It was an impact yes. moment. 50 strong, power the pack. Yes. 
we, we made a statement. We were noticeable. And yes. the second thing that happened was a confidence moment. You know, it's when we coined the phrase confidence is beautiful. I was surrounded by people just like me with some of the same challenges and some of the same issues. And how do you rise the ranks and raise a family at the same time? And how do you find your voice? And how do you be yourself? And how do you own your strengths? And all of a sudden, we were all talking about that. And it was, you know, that confidence moment that we don't need to conform to the rules that make no sense, but collectively we can break them and rewrite them. And that's how the girls' lounge was formed. You know, there's a boys' club, why not have a girls' lounge? And more business was done in the three days at that, you know, convention. And I went from uh, a one, one bedroom, you know, one bed room to the penthouse suite at the hotel because 50 turned into 100, turned into 150. And it was just remarkable. And so that's how the Girls Lounge was born. And then, um, you know, two years ago, I left to start the Female Quotient, which is in the business of equality. And, you know, no one said, oh, there's something called the business of equality. I just decided <laughs> that's what I'm going to be in, and I'm going to call it the business of equality. So I cannot just talk about how diversity is good for business, but I can help companies actually activate change and put more women in every equation and, you know, rewrite the rules so that everyone can thrive and succeed. And so today I focus on three core things. I focus on advancing women and creating the largest community of corporate women working together. We have over 17,000 corporate women across the globe. Um, and we connect through these pop-up experiences that we create at big industry conferences. The second is advancing equality in the workplace through equality boot camps and um, a accountability for change. And the third is impact, you know, giving back, as I said, with generosity to women around the world that um, are not in, uh, you know, necessarily the corporate world, but need need help. So we we have a whole giving area where it just makes us feel good. And, and that's what I do today. Awesome. And you are, but you're still part of the girls lounge, right? You're still running the girls lounges everywhere around the world, right? Yeah. So the girls lounge is a product in the female quotient. Um, and we create pop-up lounges at big industry conferences um, to, so that women can connect with one another and create a community. But we also create equality lounges where it's um, like at Davos, the World Economic Forum, it's called an equality lounge because uh -huh. it's okay. more about solutions for change and okay. bringing leadership, men and women together. You know, change will only happen if we do this together to rewrite the rules, to create a safe and secure work environment, to create policies that allow all of us to thrive. Um, so that's you know, we sometimes call them equality lounges when we're focused on next step change. So let me ask you this. You're, you're now turned very forcefully towards women. You had all your sisters who you all got along very well. But the majority of the people, I would say all of the people you've mentioned so far who paved the way for you and are all your mentors were men. Is that right? And and how come that all worked out for you, but for so many other women, it doesn't? Do you have a, a secret to success you can impart? Listen, I, I, I think what I learned from, 
I, I only had men that were my bosses. I did have one woman that I, Jackie Pinkowitz, that I, I will always thank who taught me the importance of relationships and business development. Um, but it was also the men in my life that also um, I knew I was different from them. So what mm -hmm. I learned from them was that I wasn't like them, that I wasn't linear. I wasn't analytic. I wasn't going to wait for the right moment. I had to create that myself. So I had to find my own voice and my own identity. Because at the same time, I was also criticized by, you know, men for spending too much time with clients and developing uh -huh. relationships and in-person relationships and, uh -huh. you know, waiting for a moment that, you know, I'm supposed to wait for something to happen, you know? And so I think from what I learned from the, the male mentors in my life was, you know, I appreciated their guidance and advice, but I knew that I thought differently and had to find my own voice because no one gave me permission to break the rules. I, I just had to, and thank goodness it, it worked in my favor. So I think what I learned from, you know, those men in my life was they were incredible, but I knew I was different and that I had to own my difference. And that's why I left. I left to be right. I left to lead the way that I believed I needed to lead so that I could have one life that included my career, my family, my community, my girlfriends and, and myself in that equation. I knew I so, had to leave to write my own rules. So Shelly, so many women listening and me too, you know, when men would put us down for, you know, well, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be cultivating the relationships. You should have no emotional involvement. That's how it's done. What's wrong with you? Was that your personal background? Do you think was that your parents? Why did you feel, whereas a lot of women end up doubting themselves. It's like, oh, okay, well, I shouldn't bring my emotions into work. Obviously, that's that's the way they want it to be. They're running the show. That's the way the show's run. Um, how did you decide, screw you, I'm going to, this is valuable. I'm going to go in my own direction. Is that just, are you just a rule-breaking kid or was this something from your parents or did you study this and find it in research? It's nothing you can study. It's something you have to um, find in yourself. And, you know, and that's why it's, it's that confidence moment. I didn't have a choice to be perfectly honest. I was, I'm a mom of three. I was not willing to sacrifice my family for, you know, my career. I have a no regret policy. I never wanted to look back and say, shoulda, woulda, coulda. You know, I think forward and, and then act in the moment. Um, and, at a very young age, I think at the age of, you know, 28, maybe I was 30, I, I found a letter that was written to me by my boss, handwritten. Um, it was my review that I thought I was walking into a review that they were going to tell me how wonderful I was because I did all the right things. I stayed late. I offered to help people. I was great with my clients. I mean, I thought I was perfect. And um, I was ripped to shreds in my review. And I just... Wow found it. And it was life-changing for me, that review, because there was positives and negatives. You know, the positives, I was so nice, I was terrific, you know, blah, blah, blah. The negatives that I, you know, was insistent that my way was the right way. I pushed, 
everyone to to break some rules a little bit because I was always curious and wanting to start something new. Um, I spent too much time with clients. And after I was sitting in the review and tears started coming down my face because I, I was I couldn't believe it. And uh-huh. I remember saying to this guy giving me the review, I said, oh, my God. I said, you're so wrong. God, where do you get that from, girlfriend? I I don't think many of us would say you're so wrong. (laughs) My husband said, don't do it. You're going to lose your job. Don't do it. Agree with him. Agree. agree." I couldn't agree. He was wrong. And 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 at the end of the review, it said to me, and by the way, I'm putting someone above you. to. You're going to report to this person. And I just looked at it and said, you know, one day you're going to regret this because you are, oh, the the answer, the comment to me was, we're a research company and she's a researcher. What don't you get about that? And I remember saying to him, because it's about relationships, people work with people they trust and they like, and of course, no market research, but there's more to that. And I remember saying to him, you're going to regret this one day and I'm going to show you that I'm right. And I ended up leaving shortly after that, um, to start my own company. And when I was told there was no room for emotion in the boardroom, you shouldn't care, you know, about that. It's about the numbers. That's what did right. I do? I wrote a speech called Bring Emotion to the Boardroom. And oh, I wasn't wow. gonna let the traditional mindset of what you're supposed to be be the norm. I decided that I have to follow my heart create the new norm. And if others came along with me, that's how we would change the ecosystem. That's how we would change the status quo from ho-hum to, wow, we can move forward with emotion, with passion, with empathy, with collaboration, with, you know, bringing us all together, with inspiration you know, right. and of course, a little perspiration along the way and always a heck of a lot of chocolate. Oh, with that, that is a great, a great ending there. The only last thing that I want to want to ask you about is what can somebody who is thinking about reinventing themselves and who's listening to your evolutionary reinvention, not an obviously planned reinvention, but you evolved over time and you saw you saw highways that other people didn't take and you took them. You had the confidence. Is there any, you know, one or two tips that you can give women who would like to follow, follow kind of in your footsteps that they could take home today and start working on? Um, Yeah, thank you. You know, I think number one, you know, I, I think you need to get comfortable being uncomfortable if you truly want to, um, create something new. I always used to tell my team, you know, you should make mistakes along the way because it means you're trying something that's never been done before. Just mm-hmm. don't make the same mistake twice and don't make yes. stupid mistakes, typos and things like that. That's, those are dumb mistakes. Mm-hmm. But make little big, big because I think failure leads to success and it does push you from you know, where you are to where you could go. And that does take being brave and fearless and believing in yourself because you can't help others if you don't believe in yourself. And, you know, I think that 
Very important aspect. I think perfection does not exist. Don't try to be perfect. You'll continuously dot eyes cross and go in circles. Um, so perfection is imperfection and own that. Um, three, make a to-do list that is achievable um, or else you will get frustrated um, being able to check things off your list. So make it manageable. Um, four, you got one life, including work and family. There is no such thing as balance. Life is not so neat. It's not a 50-50 proposition. And, and own your voice and own your strengths. Oscar Wilde says, be yourself because everyone else is taken. And it is just, and when you think about that, that is such an important statement because if you try to be someone else, you can be inauthentic some of the time, but you can't be inauthentic all of the time. Be yourself. We need your contribution to the table. That's what makes the world go around. That's what makes us more interesting. And lastly, Sarah Jessica Parker says it best, trying to be a man is a waste of a woman. <laughs> From Oscar Wilde to Sarah Jessica Parker. <laughs> right? I mean, it's just, but it's true. Like, I'm obsessed yeah, with that true. because I have always you know, been conforming to the rules that were given to me. And yet, you know, my best success in life has been following my own destiny and bringing my feminine perspective and strength to the table and, and leading with, you know, the, the soft powers. And, and that's worked okay for me. And I had no choice but to, to lead the way I authentically knew how to be. So, Thank awesome. you, Sarah Jessica Parker and Oscar Wilde, and to you, Leslie, also for having this conversation because it is so important to have a network of you know people that will share the good, bad, and the ugly because we've all been there, done that. So I think our experiences are great guiding, guiding tools. Well, thank you, Shelley. God, I had no idea how interesting this was going to be, and you are absolutely amazing. Everybody's. this is going to be one of our most listened to podcasts for sure. So thank you so much and love, love the range of quotes in there. Thanks a lot, Shelly, for being uh, here. All right. Have a wonderful day and thank you for having this conversation with me. So thank you for listening to this fabulous interview with Shelly Zalas. I love the fact that she can do such a range of quotes out there, including Sarah Jessica Parker. I find that really funny. I hope you do too. I think this is amazingly inspirational. And for everybody who's been told, like I have, that I should be less emotional in business, I shouldn't act like a woman in business, what she's clearly shown is that's a lo load of malarkey. Um, we can be who we want to be, and we actually should be who we want to be. And the truth is, you can't be anybody else but yourself. So thank you for joining us. I hope that if you like the Covey cast, you will give us a recommendation and some stars that will lift us up so that other women can find us. I hope you'll tell friends about it as well. I also hope you'll come join the Covey Club at coveyclub.com. We are meeting, we are having uh, virtual salons, we are learning all the time. It is for lifelong learners who wanna connect, it's really fun. 
and we're really enjoying it. And you can help put your voice out there by adding comments and being part of it. And don't forget to like us on Facebook and also on Instagram and also as uh, Twitter, because that's where a lot of um, our connections are, where we can tell you what we're up to. And we are doing things across the country now, which is really fun. So thank you for being here and we'll see you next time.